Welcome to Sliding Doors, the podcast that delves into the decisions and moments that shape our lives. I am Jenny Becker, and throughout my life, career and relationships, I've always been fascinated with the notion that everything happens for a reason, alongside my love for the 90s movie classic, Sliding Doors. Have you ever really thought about those moments that shaped your life? Those decisions that could have gone either way in the opportunities presented to you? What if you had taken that job? or told that person in high school how much you liked them. Each episode, I will talk to some amazing people from all walks of life and chat about their sliding doors moments. We will reflect on how a decisional moment changed the course of their lives and how things might have looked if they had never happened. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. My guest today is Hannah Swirling. Hannah is an established journalist who has worked in fashion and magazines for over 15 years. She has just finished as acting deputy editor at the Sunday Times Style and is moving on to become the acting features editor at the Sunday Times magazine. Born in Manchester, she studied English Lit at university and followed on to do a master's degree in post-colonial literature. She began her career as an intern at Glamour magazine, but things really took off when an internship at Elle gave her the opportunity to become editorial assistant to the then editor Lorraine Candy. Her talent, dedication and passion led to Hannah becoming content director across print and digital. She has interviewed everyone from Alexa Chung to Zadie Smith and commissioned both new and established writers, including Hilary Mantel, Dolly Alderton and fashion critic Robin Given. After 10 years at Elle, she made the move to Burberry, where she was acting deputy editor, working on Christopher Bailey's final show and Ricardo Tisci's first for the brand. In 2019, she joined the Sunday Times style and since joining has even managed to work with one of her heroes, Margaret Atwood, on her cover issue. I'm so happy to have her on the podcast as not only an amazing guest, but also as a friend. Welcome to Sliding Doors, Hannah. Thank you very much for having me. I'm honoured to be on your exciting new podcast. 
No, I'm so excited to have you, mainly because I think we've got a lot of parallels with our own sliding doors moments. So I'm so excited to delve deeper into yours. Um, now, I know you because we both grew up in Manchester. I'm very close to your sister. And I kind of almost feel like I grew up in your house. Um, and I remember when me and your sister were messing around, dancing to S Club 7, I always felt like you were kind of in your room, like revising for exams and kind of a really dedicated, um, driven person. Do you think that's an accurate portrayal or am I just remembering it wrong? <laughs> well, I'm definitely flattered by the memory. Yeah, I, I definitely think there's truth in it. Um, I think one of the really helpful things in terms of my career has been that I knew from really early on exactly what I wanted to do. So I was probably in my early teens when I realised that I wanted to be an editor and to work in fashion. I used to steal my mum's Sunday Time style magazine. Really? I'd hear the newspaper land on the um, on the mat on a Sunday morning and I would race down to Nick's style before she could get her hands on it. And uh, yeah, I loved reading magazines. I loved reading, you know, it's why I did two literature degrees at university. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely was focused on that. I mean, having said that, I don't remember myself being too swatty and I definitely spent a lot of time watching television <laughs> and a lot of time messing around. But yeah, I think that's a reasonable depiction of um, what I was like, you know, in my teens because I, I knew where I wanted to go, which is a very motivating factor. Oh, I love that. I'm glad that my memory isn't totally uh, <laughs> wrong and what my portrayal of you is correct. Um, and actually, we you were the first person I lived with when I moved to London. Yes. Um, which is also great. So I know you from lots of different angles. But one thing I also wanted to chat to you about. So I've obviously started this podcast because I'm really interested in those moments in time, in life that can really change things you know it can just be it can just be one small thing or one big thing but we both have a really big love for the film back to the future um, <laughs> and I guess for me it's really that concept of you know traveling back in time and if you change one thing it's the catalyst to change everything else why do, why do you love that film so much oh you're so right I absolutely love that film it really kind of touches some sort of nerve in me that I find, like you said, absolutely fascinating. Um, I think we all make decisions every day, right? We make tiny decisions, we make big decisions. And, you know, most of them, I guess, we're making on instinct. I think there are times when you have to sit down and weigh up options and then make a choice. But um, I think it's just so fascinating to imagine what, what could have been. And I think this year, 2020, has been a massive example of that because, you know, I've wondered to myself a few times, where would I be if COVID hadn't, hadn't yeah. happened? And I would roughly be where I am now, but I'm sure quite a few things would be different. And I think, you know, I just find that idea of a kind of parallel universe of the other path you could have taken really compelling and so yeah any film where there's kind of any time travel or you get to sort of see a glimpse into a life unlived yeah I find it super compelling and I guess it's because it's just never possible to know the alternative and I again I think I'm I'm pleased that I would mostly say that the decisions I've made I feel happy with and I don't have too many regrets and I think a lot of that is to do with trusting your gut, but also totally. sort of also just being quite kind of focused about what you want to achieve. But 
and we'll we'll get to this, I think, when we discuss some of the moments, but I also think just kind of age and experience helps a lot along the way as well. I mean, when I look back to my teenage self or or me at the beginning of my professional life, you know, I I definitely made, you know, good decisions, which I'm proud of, but there was a lot of uncertainty and a lot of second guessing. So I think, you know, so many factors play into making those decisions, the support you have around you, the situation yeah. that you're making the decision. But um, yeah, I think something like Back to the Future always really, really fascinated me because I love that concept of a, a tiny tweak to a situation having profound implications. Um, and yeah, I think that's always something that I'll, I'll be intrigued by and why it's so fun having a conversation like this because you get to just kind of play around with with truth and fiction and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and possibility and and. Um, yeah that's just an interesting subject to explore you're so right I'm exactly the same like I don't know what it is it's anything with time travel I love like I've just read um the midnight library I don't know if you've read it but it's it's also that concept of all the different lives that you could have had and I guess that's why I'm so interested to delve into um the sliding doors moments and I think you're totally right I think that you know it's it's with experience and age that you look at decisions that you've made and you you see even if they felt bad at the time they led to the good and I think hopefully when you gave and were thinking about your Sangdos moments it brought up a few of those things for you thinking about you know where could it have gone if I'd not decided to do that and we'll talk about it in a bit but I like how your moments are focusing on good decisions but also how you know decisions that maybe weren't so great led to better things um so before we delve into your moments I wanted to ask what are your thoughts around kind of everything happening for a reason and fate and I mean a lot of people as I said you've you've said this yourself you had a vision of where you wanted to go you obviously worked very hard but do you believe that it's all about hard work do you think it's chance luck kind of what are your thoughts I'm gonna give you a mixed answer I'm afraid because I do kind of feel there's a bit of both going on. I mean, ultimately, I think, you know, if you work hard and you have a plan and you pursue things, that's a very big part of, um, you know, the luck you make or, you know, the path you forge. Um, but I do think there are just certain things that can only happen because of chance, coincidence, lucky timing. Um, I'm also aware that, you know, I was lucky enough to have some really fundamental building blocks that led me to where I am. So the fact that I got to have a really good education, the fact that I had a supportive and loving upbringing, that all 100% facilitated me getting to where I am. And I think you sort of have to acknowledge the context that's enabled you to achieve what you want because, you know, sure, it was down to me and I had to work hard, but there were so many things that kind of, yeah, that allowed it to happen that I'm aware of, you know, I have to acknowledge and be grateful about. So I think that's definitely the case. But yeah, I think, you know, I I don't think of myself as a woo-woo person, but I do believe sometimes that not necessarily in a spiritual way or anything cosmic, but um, just a chance encounter or, you know, a different perspective, you know, being brought to you can help. So I think um, it's also just kind of, it's a nice thought to think that there's kind of something bigger going on. Yeah. 
around you. But but ultimately, I think, especially when I think about the industry that I've I've worked in, tenacity and sort of grit, real, you know, tough, you know, hardworking uh, approach has been, you know, fundamental, basically. No, I totally agree. And it's also, you know, I agree with you, like, I hope that we're meant to all be on the path that we're on. And sometimes I think, as you said, it's a combination of lots of different things because it's through the hard times when you don't want to give up that you've got to believe that there's something bigger or you've got to, you know, have that coffee with someone that may not lead to a job but could lead to something else. And as you say, it comes with experience. A hundred percent. I think if you're a hopeful person, that's the kind yeah, of the attitude you would have. Perfect. So we're now going to go on to your sliding doors moments. So the first one is applying for a three-month features internship at L. Um, so you were coming to the end of a year of, as we all did at some point in the fashion and kind of publishing industry, low-paid work experience, um, and you were starting to really lose faith um, that you'd find a job. Um, I definitely think in the era that we grew up, um, you know, it, not that it isn't now, but it was really tough and it was it was very different to what's going on. So what made you kind of, you know, apply for the role at L? Do you kind of remember how you were feeling at the time and what that decision was when you decided to apply for it? Yeah, I actually remember it really well. And <clears throat> what's really interesting about my industry is for as long as I've worked in it, which is, yeah, about 15 years um, there's always been this kind of slightly pessimistic naysaying mood going on. You know, it's the end of print journalism. There are no jobs, you know, all quite negative. And I mean, there's a lot of truth in it. Things have been dramatically declining. Some of my favourite magazine titles no longer exist. The job market has been really tight. So I'm not in any way suggesting that's not the case. But actually now where I am in 2020, looking back on where things were when we started, it was, you know, in comparison, actually a really healthy, yeah. time, certainly healthier than it is now. But I was, I always had this nagging voice in my ear, you know, this is such a hard industry that you're getting yourself into. There just aren't that many jobs. You know, people joke you had to wait for someone to die on, on you know, a features desk somewhere if you wanted to get a permanent position. So I think I always had that in my mind. And as a kind of sensible, conscientious person, I was mindful that I kind of thought, oh God, you know, I could end up just interning forever. I'm going to be a 40 year old intern. (laughs) Um, So yeah, like you said, I'd been, I'd been, you know, basically magazine hopping for about a year from Red Magazine um, to Cosmo, Cosmo Girl, which doesn't exist anymore. Oh my God, Cosmo Girl, remember that. (laughs) And, you know, it was basically just expenses. I wasn't being paid and I was lucky enough to be staying at my boyfriend's. He, He was still living at home in London so I didn't have rent to pay but it was it was tough and you know I want I wanted to earn some money and um I'd actually been at Glamour magazine where it was a paid internship so that was pretty great you know I was getting some money and you know I wasn't spending a lot of money so I was definitely surviving but but that was coming to an end I was applying for a couple of jobs and I just was really ready to have a permanent contract and health benefits and just to be able to say, you know, I, I have a job now. I think lots of my friends were getting jobs in law and, you know, yeah. salaries and I was just feeling um, a bit stuck. And um, I loved it, Elle magazine. I'd always loved it. And I'd applied there um, 
I think for work experience previously, I'd done, you know, 25 applications to every... Oh my gosh, do you remember when you used to like literally just send ev- like to everybody and you yeah. change that one little thing in your cover letter to make <laughs> it personalised to them? So, you know, I was sending and sending and, and I think I, either Elle had rejected me or I just hadn't heard back. So I think I was probably just feeling a little bit demoralised and someone said, oh, you know, you should, you should try Elle, they're doing this three-month internship. And I think at the time I'd, I'd applied for a job at Easy Living. Um, it was a really junior role and I'd done a lot of work um, for the job application. And um, I actually went away with my mum and my sister to Israel for a few days for a holiday. And I just remember really, really wanting to get this Easy Living job and just having in the back of my mind that there was this L opportunity. And then I didn't get the easy living role and I was really, really deflated about it. And I guess I must have had a conversation with my mum and my sister yeah. and, and, you know, we'd agreed, you know, what, what, you know, what can you lose? You might as well just apply for this L thing. You never know. So I applied for it. And like with anything, I, you know, I, I would prepare, even if it was just a chat, I would prepare for hours and make sure I'd read the last six months, if not more, of the magazine. And and I turned up and the, I guess it was the editorial assistant was doing the interview and she was being super casual. It was really just a chat for her to make sure I yeah. didn't have two heads, basically. And, you know, I, I treated it really seriously. And I think kind of once I was in the room, I realised, you know, I, I do really want this actually. And I remember getting home and and her calling and saying, you know, we'd we'd love you to come. And I was really excited about it, but there was still this kind of thing in the back of my mind. Oh, it's three months. Three months and it's another new office. And it's intimidating when you're quite junior going into a a magazine like that. And, you you know, you know the editor's names, you know, you've been reading their work or, or looking at their shoots for years. And and I definitely had this kind of Sunday night thing. And I'm not a Sunday night blues kind of person because I love what I do. And I genuinely have never felt that way. But whenever I started a new internship, I'd have this thing like, you know, here I go again just for a month or for three months. And it takes like three months to settle into a job. Totally, totally. Anyway, I arrived at L and, you know, very quickly kind of just found I absolutely loved it. I mean, it was a real heyday at the magazine, I think um, Lorraine had been there probably not that long, actually, but there was just this kinetic energy around the office. Everyone loved what they were doing. It was still the glory days in as much as there were amazing fashion shoots happening all around the world and the shows and and huge ambitious projects. And, and you know, it was the amazing thing about, and, and you know, Lorraine, has been instrumental in in my career and I'm sure her name will crop up you know a few times during our conversation but she was completely sort of fair and diplomatic about who did what so mm-hmm. it didn't matter if you were the intern who just walked through the door or the creative director who had been there for years if you had a great idea and she believed in it she would just tell you to go off and have a go and so I think even though I'd arrived feeling a little bit despondent, I think pretty quickly I found myself just working on fun projects. And so even though I didn't necessarily have a job title or a salary, 
I think I was completely fueled by her enthusiasm and just the mood in the office, which and the people around you, the people around me, exactly. And um, so I did this three months, and they offered to extend it for six months. Already, that was kind of you know confirmation, validation of yeah, the decision. such a nice boost as well. Totally, and then you know again as that six month mark crept around I had that ominous feeling again and I think I was probably applying for jobs even though I was desperate to stay at L you always had this you know this hope that some stroke of magic would happen that yeah. meant that you know that it wasn't a case that you could just get promoted into a job if you were good there are a certain number of jobs on the desk and if you know if if there was one available great and if not no and as things were sort of coming to a close and I was looking for jobs um I just remember, and I will, I'll honestly remember this moment for as long as I live, because it was just such a key moment in terms of my career. But I was sitting at my desk and, you know, by that point, I'd done loads of interviews. I'd been involved in ideas meetings. I felt really a part of the team at Elle. And, um, you know, Lorraine was someone I admired, but I was massively intimidated by, oh you know, gosh, she's sure. presence. And I was sitting at my desk and... She walked past my desk and she said, follow me, Hannah Swirling. And I got up and my heart was pounding. And I was thinking, I have <laughs> my heart no is pounding. I thought I had no idea what's going on. And she called me into her office and she basically said to me that her current editorial assistant was being promoted to junior commissioning editor. And how would I like to have a go at being her editorial assistant? And I obviously didn't play it cool at all. And <laughs> Immediately. I probably would have cried. <laughs> it was just an incredible, yeah, an incredible moment. Definitely the culmination of a lot of hard work and resilience. And yeah, just that feeling of like, you know, things do work out. Because like I said, I just kind of had this like this blurry vision of where things were going. I knew what I wanted and I knew what was possible, but I just didn't know if it if it could happen. So that really, yeah, was was a defining, a defining moment. And in fact, when uh, many, many years later when Lorraine left Elle and I, I wrote her a letter, you know, thanking her for everything, I, I reminded her of that moment, follow me, Hannah Swirling, just because it <laughs> It was just, it's embedded in, in my mind as, you know, that that walk to her office was, um, you know, me walking into, you know, what has become a sort of 15 year career. So, yeah, it was, um, it was just validation of that, the risk I felt I'd taken to yeah. do internship and the fact that, you know, things, things do work out um, with enough. No, I love that you've brought so many things up that I want to chat about. And I think we're quite similar in that sense. I think it's, you know, it's really that we care and we, we take these things seriously. And, you know, you took on that internship. And one thing that I think is a really good point that you made earlier is sometimes you really want something like you really wanted easy living. And actually, when that didn't happen, the pressure kind of comes off a bit. And actually, that's maybe why the L everything worked out because I know you said when you got in there you really wanted it but you went in just being like you know what I'll try this out and the pressure's off and see where it leads and I also think you bring up a great point about people that you work with you know it's everything's a combination you know you whoever leads a company or leads a team can very much be the person that defines you know the culture that you work around and um 
I definitely love the fact that you, you know, as you say, you worked really hard and it, and it paid off. You just need it to happen that one time and someone to believe in you for, for things to kind of work out. Definitely. And that's a really kind of that there's a balance in that relationship. You, on the one hand, you're indebted to someone giving you an opportunity. But on the other hand, I think you have to acknowledge that you're the reason why, you know, yeah. your hard work has paid off. And I think actually I, do, I remember the point I wanted to make before about um, the sort of belief in, you know, fate and things being meant to be. And I think it's really important to point out something that I definitely feel strongly that I think agency is vital in your self-belief. So I think if you believe too much that things happen for a reason and that there's someone else, you know, pulling the strings, then you're sort of actually undermining your own skill, ability, yeah. hard work. So I think, you know, you are the person who is responsible. Even if you just add up a tiny little, you know, a million little decisions every day, they make, you know, like you said, a, a big decision and, you know, I think it's just really important to be aware that you are in control because it's that feeling of being in control that gives you so much confidence. Yeah. And you bring up such a great point about, you know, we are still very much in control of what we do. And I guess that leads on to your second sliding doors moment. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to yeah. bring something like this to life. And yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend <laughs> that I don't right Hold now. it in. Hold and our current faves. And Luffy must have his due. <laughs> Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. Oof. I remember, what was that? <laughs> say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So um, accepting a big job um, as a content director, realizing it wasn't right for me. And for the first time in my life, I walked away from a commitment within a few weeks. So before we delve into you, I've had exactly the same experience. So I managed to get my dream, dream job, very similar to you. I, I always had a path that I wanted to follow, got a dream job. Everybody was so proud of me. I was so proud of me. Couldn't believe I got it. Um, and within like the first month or so, I just knew it wasn't right for me. The, the culture wasn't right. Um, I had a really bad time there. I was bullied. And I came to this crossroad where I was like, I don't quit. Like, I don't leave things. Like, this is what I've always wanted. Everyone's like counting on me. You know, everyone knows I've got this job. And, and I remember so vividly making the decision to be like, it's just not worth it. And... 
at the time I thought I was quitting and I thought that I wasn't strong enough to cope when actually looking back it was the strongest decision I ever made and actually led on to so many great things and I couldn't be happier that it happened because it led to so many different things um and I guess I wanted to ask you what was so you kind of did take a bit of a step in a different direction taking on this role what was it that kind of made you excited to take this on initially like why why did you decide to move paths sure so I think whenever you make a decision like that, it's often a reaction to something that's happened previously. So um, I'd gone to work at Burberry, which was actually in itself a pretty big departure from working in magazines because it was still fashion and there was a definitely a content aspect to the role, but it wasn't a magazine. It wasn't a mm-hmm. publication that came out at regular intervals. And, and working at a place like Burberry, you know, it's, it's this huge luxury you know, business and um, it operates just in a very different way to editorial. And so that had already been quite a major change for me. And I really enjoyed that year. It was a fascinating time to be there. I, you know, like you said, I was I was there for Christopher Bailey's final show and Ricardo Tichy's first show. And so it was a moment of massive transition for the brand. And I learned a lot very quickly but was definitely out of my comfort zone. You know, when I when I left Elle, I'd been there for such a long time, yeah. it'd been 10 years, and and I, you know, I'd had such a kind of incredible, fulfilling time there. And I was comfortable, you know, in that I knew how to do my job and I understood, you know, what the day-to-day brought. And, and Burberry was quite a shock to the system, but it was a maternity cover. It was a year. And if anything, it was just like a really fun experiment. And I wasn't in any way unhappy there. It was, you know, it was challenging, but it was just a really fun, interesting experience. And but it's good it's to also, challenge yourself. Absolutely. And and I sort of felt like, okay, you've done a decade in one job. Now is the moment to just test out some different mm-hmm. you know, options. And so off the back of Burberry, I think, Burberry had been an amazing place to work, but it, everything is incredibly, um, there's a lot of bureaucracy and sign off. You can't just kind of have an idea and make it happen, which was kind of like the tagline of L. Um, you know, you'd have an idea and then 55 people sign it off. <laughs> yeah. forever. And, and that's just part of it. It's not a criticism of the business. It's just how it works. But it's just a different world feeling, there. Exactly. And I was feeling like I wanted to sort of, be in a position again where I could really make things happen and have creative ideas and just have a bit more creative control. And also I was just kind of feeling older and more experienced and ready to take on, you know, a bit more responsibility. And I, yeah, I'd been aware of this, this business, this company, and it it actually did feel like a bit of a kind of moment where the stars aligned because I happened to voice out loud to a friend that, oh, I wonder who does does their content because, you know, I I think there's a real opportunity there. And then she was was at the the club a a couple of weeks later uh, chatting to a, a friend of hers who worked there and they said, oh, you know, we're looking for a content director. I mean, it was a really weird coincidence. And so she dropped me a line and said, you're not going to believe this, but they're actually looking for someone. Uh, and just to fast forward, you know, I met them. It all sounded exciting. It was this kind of burgeoning new business with huge ambitions and a really exciting energy about it. And they just wanted someone to come in and, you know, start this whole new creative venture so it seemed like the perfect thing I think looking back I probably had some reservations early on but I Mm -hmm. think 
do that thing sometimes where you see the things you want to see and you kind of but having said that and and I don't mean to sound in any way kind of overly confident when I say this but I I've never really made a, a bad decision yeah that has had sort of an impact like this one before mm. so obviously I, I'm not saying I make perfect decisions all the time no but, but you follow your gut and you yeah my gut has normally led me in the right place but I think I went into this job just having a sort of quiet niggling sense of something that I wasn't quite acknowledging and I mean almost immediately I just kind of thought oh god I'm just not sure about this but I was also really mindful you know with any new job with any new role there is that sort of discomfort factor um and the settling in period and you just think oh it's just because I've just started yeah you can't make rash decisions um but I think I sort of, yeah, I realised pretty quickly that I just wasn't sure about this. And I think the thing that made it even more complicated was I knew this was going to be a job that required everything of me. You know, I was going to be working all the time, committed, throwing myself in. And I just felt really quickly like, I just don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. It just doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I've voiced something maybe to my husband you know within the first week or two but we agreed you know it's it's early days and it's such a change from what you're doing um and I hadn't really kind of shouted it from the rooftops to friends and people that I'd got the role I think you know I'd mentioned it but it was just for whatever reason even I was sort of being a bit circumspect about that yeah and um I remember a, a friend of mine, someone I've worked with and whose advice I really value. Um, I remember just kind of calling her in prep up the road from the office one day and just kind of voicing the, un, you know, the unsayable thing. And I said, I just don't know if I can do this. And, you know, she was, I can't really remember exactly what she said. I think she said, you know, you, you've got to give these things a chance and, you know, good advice. Um, but there was just this kind of stone in my stomach, this feeling. And I just, I knew that it wasn't a case of, well, if I speak to them about this or I'm, if I change that, it will be okay. It was just a fundamental, this just isn't right. Totally. And also, you know, when you start any new job, you spend a lot of time just sitting down with people and having like introductory conversations mm-hmm. and making plans. But basically, I had a really bad week. And at the end of that week, um was kind of sitting I think I was working at home and my husband came in and I said I can't do this I need to leave and he said okay and you know we've always like I'm very lucky we've supported each other in all of these things but you know it it's a big risk walking away from a job you know financial security all of that mm-hmm. stuff but and we're, it's drilled into us that you've got to keep a job especially like our generation you know my parents are like you've got to stay in a job if you're in a job for less than a year it looks bad on your cv and you've got all that pressure behind you totally um but weirdly it was like the most difficult but the easiest kind of mm-hmm. decision and it, it i honestly just kind of made it almost in a in a kind of out of body way it was like i'm just not going to do this and so I went, liberating so liberating and i went in and you know had to say so um you know, and, and it was a very difficult thing to explain because it was, it, it, it wasn't them, it was me, you know, it was just one of those things. And um, it was just the wrong, you know, the wrong fit. And um, they were obviously quite surprised. And, you know, if you look at my CV, it's, 
it's just lots of commitment. You know, I was at Leeds University for four years. I was at L for 10 years. You know, I've even in my personal life, I've been with my husband for nearly 20 years. Like, yeah. I take things out. Um, so they were a little surprised. And then I sort of had to do the, you know, go through the process of telling my colleagues who were also so surprised. So I think, you know, other people's reactions often kind of mirror to you something that probably has made you feel uncomfortable because they think, well, what do you mean and why and what's wrong? And so that that was difficult, but also fine you know I had the conversation and and I walked away and I never doubted the decision at all and and actually I think one of the things that I know for sure is that people I know who are very unhappy are people who are sticking out difficult uncomfortable Mm -hmm. bad situations whether that's friendships relationships jobs and I'm not saying everyone has the privilege of being able to walk away and and it wasn't like I was walking away thinking I'm just going to go and relax you know I needed to go and find another job but at the same time I knew that this just wasn't going to be a good a good thing for me to do. And also you you said before, like you've always had jobs where you love what you do it's been the crux of what you've done that you've never you, you know, you hadn't really worked in a job that you weren't, yes, things may have been hard, but you were always so passionate and you loved the environment you're in and you know the value of that. So when that, that value is taken away from you, you know how important it is and having the confidence to say, actually, this isn't right for me is yeah, a big that's thing. The thing. I, I knew what a good, meaningful, fulfilling job looked like. And so I think, you know, I, I had kind of probably just allowed myself to slightly stray off the course that had you know I'd been on for such a long time like I said I knew so early on and I think as well like as you get older and you have a family and you've got kids you you realize what is actually more important to you it's all mental health it's how you want to be as a mother to your kids like you can't give everything to something that you don't even feel is right and I think that you know you've you've shown that that one decision actually like led on to you know you even being editor for like some bit that you of a magazine that you've been reading since you were little and it's it's only when you kind of look back I mean one point before we go on to your final moment that I wanted to say so you did say and I feel quite similar to this that the stars seem to aligned when you actually did first get this job that you left has it did it change because for me it changed the way I looked at those moments when you're like oh well, everything's aligned, that kind of when it started to do that after that happened, I didn't know whether to trust it or not. Like, did it kind of damage your your trust in the universe slightly? That's a good question. I guess, like, we're always looking for signs, aren't we, that, like, validate our decisions. So I think the fact that it came about in that way felt... Yeah, it def- that that definitely felt like something that you know these 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 steps had led me to the job, um, but no, no, I don't think so because ultimately, I think I had pursued that really. If you think about it, I'd yeah. been into what they were doing. I'd spoken to a friend about it. Like it obviously helped that she then connected the dots by speaking to someone there and bringing the opportunity back to me. But I believe that that would have had I would have got there in another way had it not you know yeah. happened. one of the things that I found deeply uncomfortable and, and challenging at the beginning of my career was the idea of networking I remember mm-hmm. people 
going to me. Go to Still this find networking. it hard now. Exactly. Go to this networking event. Or, you know, I would often find myself in these really fabulous rooms if it was the L Style Awards or some amazing party or a- any kind of event. And and I remember people say, go and talk to them. And I used to find it really crippling and, and impossible. And And that was kind of just bashed out of me over the course of my early career because you know it wasn't unusual for me to pick up the phone to a celebrity and ask all sorts of questions and eventually you know at events like the L Style Awards it was my job to sort of go and grab some A-lister and get them to be photographed for the magazine and do an interview and so I just became immune to it you know. Yeah and that's a very good segue into your last sliding Mm -hmm. door moment so you did say that you think you're cheating slightly with this one but you say it's kind of a series of split decisions relating to friendships I've made over the past seven years so do you want to just elaborate a bit more? Because you've, you've touched on it a little bit. Um, but do you want to elaborate a little bit more around kind of what you think this kind of means to you? Yeah, I think that sort of, yeah, it definitely builds upon what I just talked about, where I think you just sometimes have to have this, just be a bit more reckless about approaching people. I think everyone stands in a room of new people which feels like such an alien thing this year where you're never in a room of new people yeah. um, and feels intimidated um, and you see other people talking and laughing and and I think ultimately everyone is happy for someone to approach them and say, hi, how are you? And get talking. But it, it just was something I found difficult. You know, I, I've always had good friends, but, you know, often your early friendships have just kind of always been and you mm. haven't had to... And they're comfortable. Exactly. And you haven't had to do too much kind of um, hard work in terms of just meeting someone cold and, and building from there. So I think, yeah, that, you know, I've definitely touched on, on that in terms of a... A work point of view but I think one of the things that's happened uh, in terms of friendships and I guess this is a lot since having kids as well where you meet people at antenatal classes or at baby groups and you do just become a lot more easy breezy about just getting chatting to the woman next to you in the cafe who has happens to have a baby the same age and and that's just a confidence that comes with age that comes with work I think work is responsible for giving people and and me specifically you know a lot of a lot more confidence and self-belief um but yeah I think I've just found that in those moments where I could have quite easily have met someone thought they were very nice and moved on with my life yeah I and you know and and obviously there's a discerning element to this I'm not just kind of meeting anyone and thinking like please be my friend (laughs) but you know people I've met either through work or in another situation thought I really like you and I just have found myself being a lot more forthright in pursuing that friendship Mm -hmm. and I'm you know and it's really paid off I think some of like my closest friends and favorite people are people I've you know developed relationships with off the back of that slightly more brave attitude and do you remember like the first time you did pluck up the confidence to talk to someone that was really intimidating or that you knew you wanted to spark that relationship up with and kind of you really just took the plunge because there's always someone that you kind of you're like oh I'm gonna go and do it and then you do it and then you're like oh it just wasn't as bad as as I thought it was gonna be yeah I mean it's probably just a really innocuous thing but um I'd I'd worked with someone um sort of collaboratively when I was at Elle who whenever we had meetings I would just cry laughing we always just had such a fun time 
And I think we'd sort of had like a dinner on the premise of work, but had got on really well. And then I was going off on maternity leave. I think I just kind of messaged and said, why don't we have breakfast when I'm off or, you know, really just casual. And, you know, we met up and just had like a really great first date, you know, we had breakfast and we talked for ages and I guess that's like four years ago and that person's like one of my favorite people ever now and you know a really close friends yeah and it's still a I don't think it's a a cheating sliding doors moment because I do think it's still you know it's still making those small decisions that can lead to building your confidence and building relationships and you know sometimes it's it is hard just to be like should we go for dinner or should we do it and you realize it's just not that bad and yes it could lead to um, you know, you go for dinner and you don't get on that well, but it can also, as you say, lead to these amazing friendships. Um, and and it, it, I don't know, it just, it's another thing of just like following your gut, I guess. Definitely. And I think, you know, that instinct is, is really important. And then beyond that, that's informed by experience and just, you know, rationalizing. And, and, you know, I think, I'm both someone who's probably guilty of overthinking things, but also actually quite good at just going along with something because Mm -hmm. I know it's right. And I guess that's kind of a good combination because I would hate to overthink things so much that I couldn't be spontaneous and just be able to get out of my head and have fun and, and, you know, but at the same time, I think being thoughtful about things, you know, that just is how I, how I am um but it's it's kind of a part of what I do for work really just thinking things through thinking around an idea in all sorts of different directions so yeah you sort of don't you can't separate one from the other really yeah oh Han I really really love chatting to you your sign doors moments are brilliant and it's just been really inspiring as I say like I really love the fact that you have been someone with a vision and where you are in your career is so brilliant and um thank you so much for being so open and chatting with me today thank you so much for having me it's been a lot of fun thanks han bye thank you so much for listening to this episode of sliding doors if you've enjoyed our chat and found it inspiring i would love it if you could rate review share and subscribe thank you so much (laughs) 